Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Lawyer's Toolbox on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Today is Thursday, December 2nd, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is Donna Adler. Uh, Having practiced law for over 25 years, Chicago attorney Donna Adler has built her career incorporating education and service to local professional and business communities. Donna's main practice areas are general civil litigation, administrative law, including immigration law, wills, family law, including collaborative practice, and criminal defense. Donna Adler's outreach includes advising on immigration issues affecting employers, such as the particulars of U visas. Today, uh, Donna Adler's office also, by the way, is located uh, in the Chicago suburban area of DuPage County, Illinois, in Oakbrook Terrace. We have a great show for you this afternoon. We invite caller questions either by email directly at nick at alrpra.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line, or you may also call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the queue. We have a couple quick announcements before we get going. Uh, We want to let you know that the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois on January 25th, 2011, from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m., has it with a reception to follow from 5 to 6, will be conducting an MCLE seminar at the Chicago Bar Association located at 321 Plymouth Court, Chicago, Illinois, and more information is available at chicagobar.org. The presentation will be titled Collaborative Law, Expanding Your Practice Within This Limited Scope Model. The seminar will cover history, the mechanics, the ethics, and the shift of the communication style needed to practice in this new and developing area of conflict resolution. Discussions will cover the application of the collaborative practice model in family law and non-family law cases and the necessary steps practitioners must take to retool their practices to provide collaborative practice option to their clients. Our second announcement, the ALRPRA Law Practice Management School will be starting classes this January 5th. This is a weekly online practice management education program covering management, marketing, technology, and finance. For more information or to apply, please contact ALRPRA directly for more information. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers in this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. And if you have further questions, you are always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Now, today we have Attorney Donna Adler, and she's going to be talking to us uh, on the Lawyer's Toolbox program all about U-Visas and what employers should know, or what 
criminal defense lawyers should know about U visas, which can be issued to give victims of certain crimes temporary legal status and work eligibility in the U.S. So again, to, to correct there, our scope is information for criminal defense attorneys. And Donna is going to provide general information today. She'll tell a little bit about what the U visa is and what its purpose is, who should know about U visas, what actions and due diligence steps are appropriate, and what are the implications of U visas uh, that impact other topical areas in law. So uh, without further ado, we're going to go right to our recurring guest, Donna Adler, and we're very happy to have her on the show today. Nick, it's always a pleasure to be here on um, Blog Talk Radio. I would like to again clarify that the um, purpose of this program is to educate primarily criminal defense attorneys about U visas. Um, they may not know much about them, particularly in the state court context, and I find that um, even many judges are not familiar with what a U visa is. To give you just a general introduction, um, a U visa is a kind of non-immigrant visa, and for those of you not familiar with um, immigration law, there are two basic um, divisions, um, non-immigrant status and immigrant status. Immigrant status um, is the kind of status that people have when they are going to be here permanently in the United States. Non-immigrant status is for people who are here temporarily and it's an authorized um, stay in the United States, and there are many different kinds of non-immigrant um, non-immigrant visas. The U visa is a non-immigrant visa. However, it has some interesting, um, there are some interesting possibilities involved with the U visa um, in terms of pathways to permanent resident status and eventually U.S. citizenship that I will certainly um, talk about today. But the U visa is basically for certain non-citizen crime victims and certain qualifying family members. Now, when I use the term crime victims, um, this is a word that appears in the, um, in the INA, but what we're dealing with in the U visa context are people who are cooperating with federal, state, or local prosecutors in the prosecution or investigation of an alleged crime. And I think um, that um, concept of alleged crime gets lost when we talk about U visas, but it's important to remember that. When I talk about some of the abuses, I think that the U visa gives rise to, as it is currently structured, it's going to be important to keep that in mind. In any case, um, certain non-citizen crime victims can get up to four years temporary status in the United States, and there is an extension possible. They can apply, if they get U visa status, to adjust status after three years in U non-immigrant status. What does that mean, adjusting status? Adjusting status refers to a process, and there are several different avenues in the Immigration and Nationality Act, um, for becoming a permanent resident in the United States. One, one is, once one is a permanent resident in the United States, one is an immigrant and can be on the pathway to U.S. citizenship. After five years, a legal permanent resident can try to naturalize to U.S. citizenship. So it is possible to go from the possession of a U visa, adjust status after three years in U non-immigrant status, and then five years after that to apply for U.S. citizenship. The U visa was created in October of 2000 by the Victims of Trafficking and Violence Prevention Act. That was public law number 106-386, 114 um, statutes 1464, October 28, 2000. It was reauthorized in 2003, 2005, and 2008. I believe that was 2005. But only in October of 2007 were there any implementing regulations passed. So there is a waiting list of people um, who apply for U visas. 10,000 are authorized per year. The intention behind the U visa is not a bad one. It's a good one. It's to protect victims of serious crime and to, uh, to encourage them to come forward 
and to report and assist in the investigation and prosecution of crime. However, what I will focus your attention on as I go through the, the um, requirements for the U visa and describe the U visa in further detail are some of the abuses that it can give rise to as currently structured. Now, it's available to non-citizens who suffer substantial physical or mental abuse resulting from a wide range of criminal activity, including domestic abuse and sexual assault. And we'll go through um, the kinds of criminal activity that are the targets or the focus of the U visa. But let's go over basic, um, basic provisions for eligibility. The basic provisions for eligibility are found at INA, that's the Immigration and Nationality Act, Section 101A15U. That is 8 U.S.C. Section 1101, parens A, parens 15, parens U. And there, the further, um, further requirements for the um, U visa or the more detailed description of the requirements for U visa is contained in the regulations at HCFR 214.14. So uh, you go to that um, Code of Federal Regulations section to um, get the specifics on what was required to apply. But in any case, the basic eligibility requirements are that the immigrant had to have suffered, okay, the, the person had to have suffered, it's not immigrant, um, but the person applying for the U visa um, has to have suffered substantial physical or mental abuse as a result of having been a victim of certain kinds of defined criminal activity. The, um, the person applying, or in the case of a child under the age of 16, the parent, guardian, or next friend of that child possesses information concerning the criminal activities. That's the second requirement. The person applying, or in the case of someone under 16, um, has to have um, knowledge uh, concerning the criminal activity or his parent, guardian, or next friend must, if he's under 16. Then the uh, person who's applying for the U visa, or in the case of a child under the age of 16, the parent, guardian, or next friend, has to be helpful or he is currently being helpful or he is likely to be helpful in the investigation or prosecution of the criminal activity. Okay, so one doesn't have to currently be being helpful or um, he just has to, has to be likely to be helpful in the investigation or prosecution of criminal activity. Perhaps the person um, would be a potential witness in a criminal case. The fourth requirement is that the criminal activity had to have violated the laws of the United States or occurred in the United States. Now, what kinds, of, um, what kinds of criminal activity are covered? But um, let me back up a minute. There is one additional requirement. All applicants for a U visa must be admissible to the United States, and I will cover that concept of admissibility a little bit um, later. Suffice it to say for now that the admissibility requirements um, for people seeking visas are contained at Section 212A of the Immigration and Nationality Act, and that's 8 U.S.C. 1182. Um, Section 212A talks about the classes of aliens ineligible for visas or admissions. So there are all kinds of grounds of inadmissibility supplied at that section of the, the code. A U visa um, applicant must be admissible to the United States as a non-immigrant, and he must be in possession of a valid and unexpired passport. Now, one of the things we'll be discussing today is this concept of admissibility, because there's a waiver to the admissibility requirements that's applicable to the U visa, and it's one of the, the broadest waivers. It is the broadest waiver in the, in the whole of immigration law. Um, it is, in my opinion, unconscionably broad, um, but we'll discuss that a bit, a bit later. Certain criminal activity, what is the criminal activity that is covered by um, the U visa or the subject of the U visa? 
It's got to involve one or more of the following crimes or any other similar activity, and the activity has to be in violation of federal, state, or local criminal law. It covers rape, torture, trafficking, incest, domestic violence, sexual assault, abusive sexual contact, prostitution, sexual exploitation, female genital mutilation, being held hostage, peonage, involuntary servitude, slave trade, kidnapping, abduction, unlawful criminal restraint, false imprisonment, blackmail, extortion, manslaughter, murder, felonious assault, witness tampering, obstruction of justice, perjury, or attempt, conspiracy, or solicitation to commit any of the, these mentioned crimes. The list of crimes that I've just gone over with you is contained at INA, that's the Immigration and Nationality Act, Section 101A15U, um, small, um, small um, III, so it's, um, it's that's in parens, okay, so that's the code section, that's 8 U.S.C. 1101, 8, rather, A15U, 3. Now, what's um, interesting about this list? Well, I think that we could all agree that um, this criminal activity is very serious, the uh, criminal activity that is um, covered by the U visa, that these are the kinds of crimes that we would like to have um, help in the federal, state, and local arena investigating, and we want people to be willing to come forward. And if they're here in, um, they're here in, um, if they're illegally present here or in undocu undocumented status, um, or um, they their time here in the United States has expired, whatever the situation wants, you know, happens to be, I think the intention behind the U visa was to make it possible for these people to come forward without fear of um, reprisal on the immigration front. There are some uh, things in this list that um, I'm going to focus your attention on particularly. I want to um, focus particularly on, and then we'll take a break and we'll come back to these, um, sexual assault, abusive sexual contact, false imprisonment, okay, perjury, obstruction of justice, and then um, felonious assault, and then concentrate on attempt, conspiracy, or solicitation to commit any of the above crimes. Donna, thank you so much for that first section and with descriptions, requirements, and we're getting into some of the crimes that trigger and uh, involve the U visa and its implications. Let's pause quickly for our first sponsor break, and then we'll be back with more information. For anyone who's just recently tuned in, you're listening to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. This is our Lawyer's Toolbox program, and our first sponsor of the day is attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law offices of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor of the day is The Lawyer Market. I discovered The Lawyer Market several weeks ago, and let me tell you, this website is the best-kept secret for solos and small firms trying to market their practice. 
you can join the lawyer network for free, and the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of consumers who are interested in hiring you for your legal services. The lawyer marketplace offers a win-win solution to its listed attorneys and the potential clients searching for their legal services. Please visit thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers for more information. That website again is www.thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers. Now let's get back to our show, and for our second segment, we'll continue discussing with Donna Adler some of the uh, crimes that are involved with U-Visas. Okay, I had asked you to keep in mind um, several crimes. I'm going to just ask you to continue keeping those in mind for now. I'll come back to those, because what I would like to do is describe a few more um, features of the U-Visa first. Um, The U-Visa is available not only to um, the alleged victim of crime, but also um, to derivatives. Okay, what is a derivative? Other people associated with the alien. Um, If a person is over 18 and he's a victim of of a crime and he is a victim of an alleged crime and he's applying for a U visa, he can also um, apply for his spouse and children if he's over 18. If he's under 18, he can apply for his spouse, his children, his unmarried siblings under 18, and his parents. That's also something to keep uh, to keep in mind. Um, when I talk about the possible abuses of the U visa, I want you to be able to focus on the fact that this is one of the only ways you can just bring in your siblings. Um, even U.S. citizens can't bring in their siblings that easily. Um, if they've got if they've got um, siblings that um, are not citizens of the United States and they want to bring um, bring people over, there's a waiting list um, for that. If you are a person applying for U visa and you're successful and you're under 21, you can apply for your spouse, your children, your unmarried sibs uh, under 18, and your parents. That's um, that's pretty good stuff, and maybe um, too much of an incentive in some ways to um, abuse this U visa. So, so keep that keep that in mind. There are certain requirements for application, of course. I want to draw your, fo- your attention also to INA Section um, 214P. That's 8 U.S.C. Section 1144P. I'm drawing your attention to that because I want you to focus on problematic aspects of this otherwise um, good legislation. I just think it's problematically drafted, and I want to let you, um, let you see all the ways I think that's the case. What's that section number again? It is... INA Section 214P, 8 U.S.C. Section 1144P. Now, Donna, can you also identify what a good uh, reference material this book that you have now? Not yet. Let me, let me, we can do all that afterwards. Okay. Yeah. We'll identify some resources later. All right. What I want to focus you on in INA Section 214, that's 8 U.S.C., I'm sorry, it's, 11, it's section 11, um, 1184. P, P3, duties of the Attorney General with respect to U visa non-immigrants. This section provides that with respect to non-immigrant aliens described in A15U, which is the code section um, setting forth the general eligibility requirements, the Attorney General and other government officials where appropriate shall provide those aliens with referrals to non-governmental organizations to advise the aliens regarding their options while in the United States and the resources available to them. And these people are also allowed to get employment authorization. 
what I want you to focus on in uh, the duty, the statutory duty of the Attorney General to provide aliens with referrals to non-governmental organizations is that non-governmental organizations have a pretty good vested interest in keeping this legislation um, very broad because it's part of, of, of the business that they do now. Um, the Attorney General has a statutory duty to provide these aliens with referrals to non-governmental organizations. Non-governmental organizations have a vested interest in helping people attain U visas. I think that that's a bit problematic given the breadth of the U visa statute. Okay, I keep talking about the breadth of the U visa statute. I have indicated um, why it's broad in one sense, that it, um, it allows people under 21 to bring in spouses, children, unmarried sibs under 18, and parents. And if they're over 18, spouse and children, that's one aspect in which it's broad. Those people can come in as derivatives, and they also would be eligible to adjust status to permanent resident and later to naturalize as U.S. citizens if, um, the, if, if eligible later on. Then another aspect in which it is broad is, is that it covers that whole broad range of very serious crimes. I've asked you to um, think about several of those, and I'll come back to my concerns con concerning um, U visa eligibility when crimes such as criminal sexual assault are at issue. But there's one more way in which it's exceedingly broad. There's a waiver that applies to um, the admissibility requirements for U visa holders. As I had mentioned earlier in the broadcast, U visa um, applicants have to be eligible. The eligibility requirements um, for visas are described, as I had said, at INA Section 212A. But there is a waiver that applies in the case of the U visa at INA Section um, 212D14. That's 8 U.S.C. 1182D14. This waiver waives every ground of inadmissibility in the Immigration and Nationality Act except for um, the Nazi persecution bar. If you've been a Nazi, forget it. You're not going to get a U visa. <laughs> but if you've been a controlled substance trafficker, if you have um, committed any serious crimes yourself, if um, you otherwise meet other serious grounds of inadmissibility under 212A, the service in its discretion, the Department of Homeland Security in its discretion, can waive those grounds of inadmissibility to grant you a U visa, non-immigrant status in the United States. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you would automatically be cleared three years later to become a permanent resident or to become a U.S. citizen. But the, the problem with this waiver and the problem with the, the breadth of the U visa and the problem with the fact that from the U visa you can go to permanent resident status three years later and then apply to naturalize five years after that is that it gives people a powerful incentive to lie. There is really no other way in the Immigration and Nationality Act that a person can go from a completely unlawful status in the United States to um, possibly um, U.S. citizenship. Um, there's no other, other way to do that um, in, my, in my experience than this U visa. And the U visa is new. Okay, it has largely been untested. We haven't, um, we haven't really seen how the scheme is going to operate, but the potential for abuse here is enormous. I had a case in which I believe that the U visa was abused um, to bring false witness against a person, but I will not um, go into the details of that here because it's not, it's not appropriate. So that is the problem. Um, the, the, the waiver for the U visa, 212D14, is e easily the broadest waiver in the immigration universe. Um, my sense for how one would deal with um, the U visa as it is, I would say the legislation as drafted um, 
as I had said, provides an astounding incentive to non-citizens who cannot otherwise get legal status to make false criminal accusations against others. Um, so how would, would I eliminate the U visa for this reason? No, I think it is a generally a good piece of legislation, but as drafted, it gives rise to abuse. I would like to see uh, a U, U visa legislation restricted in such a way that it could never lead to permanent resident status and that it could never become a path to U.S. citizenship. I think that the U visa could serve the purposes for which it was intended simply by permitting indefinite extension at the discretion of the um, of DHS and the Attorney General and work authorization at the Attorney General's discretion. I think that that would serve the purposes the U visa was designed for without providing an incentive to lie um, for people who otherwise couldn't get permanent status in the United States. I think the criminal defense bar um, should be very much aware of this visa and should always inquire, okay, from, um, she should always inquire whether any witnesses in a case um, are here on new visas or whether they're, they're cooperating with the state or with the feds or with local authorities um, under the rubric of a U visa, visa because I think um, criminal defense attorneys would have um, every duty to attack um, the credibility of such a witness on grounds of bias simply because of um, the path to permanent status in the United States that it provides. The motive of people, okay, um, who are here on U visas testifying in criminal cases should be examined, should be examined thoroughly. I think criminal defense counsel should make sure that they get um, discovery of the entire U visa application. A U visa application um, has to be submitted to the surface by to the service by the U visa um, applicant. He usually goes to an attorney or nonprofit organization to get that done. But included with the application on a separate sheet is something called the U visa certification. It's on I-918, form I-918. And what um, has to be done there, it's part of the application and part of the evidence that goes in support of the U visa. Uh, a local, state, or federal official has to sign it and verify that um, the person applying for the U visa is indeed someone who is cooperating with the governmental authorities in prosecuting one of the crimes um, on the list that I had recited to you earlier in the program. So the criminal defense bar should be very much aware of this visa, should attack any witness with the U visa on grounds of bias, um, and should get busy in the lobbying realm. I think the criminal defense bar in all the states should lobby Congress for a much more restricted waiver, um, as well as a much more restricted U visa. Uh, much more restricted U visa in that um, there should be no U visas, as I said, that lead to permanent residence or citizenship or provide a path to citizenship. Um, there should also be a much more restricted waiver um, for granting the U visa. Why, after all, although we want to encourage people to testify about serious crimes, why would you want to encourage non-immigrant status for someone whose credibility is seriously at issue anyway if he himself has committed serious crimes? Why should such a person get our protection even um, in non-immigrant status? Um, I think that that's a question worth exploring. There may be good answers to that question. There may be people who would differ in their assessment um, of my simple impression of it, but I think the criminal defense bar should lobby for a much more restricted waiver um, in connection with the U visa. So that's basically, that's basically what I have on the U visa and what I have about my concerns. Um, let me go back to some of the um, crimes that I asked you to focus on to sort of illustrate what could happen in um, the U visa context. 
I think we're going to have a break right now. Nick. Yeah, we're going to start. We're going to pause, and then we're going to get back into some of the details there in just a second. And I have a hypothetical question for you as well. Okay. Thank you for any of those of you who are just recently tuning in. You're listening to the Lawyers uh, the Lawyers Toolbox program on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We want to give you our third sponsor of the day, but first we're going to uh, go through and read some news again. This is, again, another uh, article that we brought to you and talked about last time, but just want to remind you because we do think this is particularly newsworthy. Coming from the American Lawyer, published on November 30th, 2010 at 11 a.m., it's titled, Law Firm Leaders Survey 2010, The New Normal, posted by Clara Zillman. From the December 2010 issue of the American Lawyer, text reads, After two years of turmoil, the nation's largest law firms are setting into a new normal. That's the takeaway from the American Lawyer's 2010 survey of leaders of the AMLAW 200 firms, which suggests that many of the changes implemented during the recession, smaller associate classes, postponed start dates for new hires, reductions in the equity pool, and scaled-back profit expectations are here to stay, at least for a while. 60% of the 124 respondents to the law firm leaders survey said that the downturn had produced fundamental shift in the legal marketplace, and smaller proportion, 32%, said the downturn had caused their firm to adjust its business model. The most jarring example of this change is in the area of leverage. Clearly, the days of expanding first-year classes are a thing of the past. More than 87% of respondents said the 2011's incoming class size will be the same size or smaller than their usually ready reduced 2010 class. Find complete survey results on the AMLAW Daily's website as well as additional news and resources. Our third sponsor of the day is Jim Thompson of the Get Clients Now program and Midwest Consultants. If you want to get new clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you should talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program called Get Clients Now will help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenue. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Just a reminder for anyone out there who is listening and would like to call in, the telephone number is area code 917-889-9732, plus option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. And also those of you who are finding our program on a social media channel and have the ability to share, reclick, or repost same, we would appreciate that as we our goal is to get the most information to the people who can really use it. So going back to our program, we have Donna Adler talking about U visas and what criminal defense counsel should know. Okay, before I resume, I just want to spit out a few more code sections so that um, you will have you will have uh, sites to the um, um, all the sites that you need to um, look this up. The adjustment of status provision of uh, for U visa holders to um, permanent resident status is at INA section 245M. That's 8 USC section 1255M. Among the regulations I haven't given you sites to yet, there is a citation um, to the regulations for that broad waiver that I had mentioned, the code section for. Um, the regulations pertaining to that waiver, 8 CFR section 212.17. The um, additional eligibility or more detailed eligibility requirements for the UVs, I think I have given you that site, but I'll give it to you again, 8 CFR section 214. 
2.14, and the regulations pertaining to adjustment of status are at 8 CFR section 245.24. Now let's go back to that list of crimes and sort of an illustration of um, what might happen for some canny person who wanted to abuse the U visa process. Um, why I'm so concerned about that. Um, let's take, let's take um, for example, the crime of criminal sexual assault or criminal sexual abuse or aggravated battery, but especially focusing on something like um, criminal sexual assault. When we, um, when we hear that term, I think we think of the worst case scenarios, um, but we're not thinking about, we're thinking about the worst case scenarios where somebody at attacks someone um, brutally, uh, beats someone up, and, and there's, a, there's a, sort of a brutal rape, and that's the image that we have in our mind when we think about that, uh, that term. There are other scenarios in which that um, term comes into play. For example, you have, the, um, you have sort of the date rape scenario, which is, not, um, which is not excusable by any means, and you have everything in gray areas, such as um, everything that might be in gray area um, where consent might be murky, so you have all kinds of, of gray areas that might also be encompassed by um, that term. So think about those gray areas and remember um, maybe some of the women out there that you have husbands, brothers, and sons, and think about gray areas on dates. Um, um, and the trouble one might get into in such a context that would lead to a charge of criminal sexual assault. Um, it might interest you to know that under Illinois law, um, 725 ILCS 5-115-7.3, is the section I'm thinking of. Um, there are attenuated standards of proof in these cases. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, if you're charged with one of these crimes, then the state can bring in evidence of so-called other crimes. Okay, but the other crimes don't have to be things that that um, the um, that the defendant has been convicted of. It can be evidence of other bad acts. Okay, to show what? To show um, propensity to commit crime. Now, this is a very interesting concept, and I think that this um, statute in Illinois is actually, is actually a quite a bad statute um, because it undermines the presumption of innocence in a case. Um, historically, bringing in crimes to show propensity to commit something um, has not been permitted precisely because it undermines the burden of proof. But we've had this statute on the books for a while. Um, don't quote me on this, but I think it's, it's, it's since 1991. I'd have to go back and check the effective date. But the, um, this is particularly, okay, problematic. Um, any statute uh, worded that way, I would think, is, is problematic because um, what it basically uh, attempts to do is say, um, because X came in and said you committed a prior bad act and we have everybody else on the school bus who will come in and say that you did prior bad acts against them, um, it is more likely than not that you also did that, this bad act. Um, that, I think, is, is a bogus attempt to get a conviction. Um, clearly, the interests um, in prosecuting people for these types of crime um, have been at work lobbying um, the Illinois State Legislature. But again, I want you to think of that sort of gray area situation that could be covered by the term criminal sexual assault in a dating situation or otherwise um, in which your brother or your husband or your son, okay, your husband has no business dating, of course, but um, some other kind of, um, of situation that, that where consent might be very gray and you get into this, um, you get into this, um, this arena of criminal sexual assault and you get into these attenuated standards of proof and it's um, quite possible for the state to bring in the whole school bus of, um, of people to point fingers at your, um, at your, at your defendant. Um, a very difficult situation. Well, um, 
Domestic violence is also on the list. Okay, so um, you're someone who is um, sort of a canny person who's been here in undocumented status, and there is no other way for you to stay here, and um, um, there might not be uh, any other witness. I'm aware of a case in which I think this happened, where you go and you make an accusation, and then you get all your friends uh, to pile up on the school bus and point fingers at the same guy. And um, then um, he's in court, and he's trying to defend against, um, you know, against all these charges with um, everybody on the school bus. And um, you, because you resurrect this story, um, the person who's applying for the U visa, um, you, you, I think, cock this story then um, for your bad act. For your bad act, the real crime that's occurring there is that you've committed a bad act. Um, you get rewarded with, with a U visa. Now, one might think, well, um, surely the requirements for a U visa are such that um, disingenuous people would be weeded out of the process. Um, not so. Um, U visa applications are granted. They're just paper applications. No interview is ever required, of, uh, at least not yet. Um, no interview has been required of, of people seeking U visas. It's a paper case. Um, U visa applicants apply on, on a paper application. They submit, um, certain, uh, they submit certain documentation that supports their story that they have been um, victims of a crime. Um, their affidavit should not be enough, but in the case that I'm thinking, there was really nothing else to go on but the person's own story. Um, and then they get the certification from the local, state, or federal authority that they are indeed helping to prosecute a crime or helping to investigate one. Then that goes to the Vermont Service Center, and the Vermont Service Center makes a decision on whether a U visa ought to be granted. So demeanor evidence is, with, is, is missing. Um, no one ever has to look a U visa applicant in the face to try to determine whether or not that person is telling the truth. And it's um, completely a paper case. Okay, if the U visa application is granted, the person um, person gets deferred, uh, gets uh, the non-immigrant status, and can also then apply for um, employment authorization and work in the United States. It's good for four years. It can be extended. After three years, the U visa applicant can apply for permanent residence, and then five years after that, if he or she succeeds in getting permanent residence status, can um, can apply to naturalize uh, to be a U.S. citizen. So um, this is the kind of scenario that I'm worried about in the U visa immigrant um, universe. And, and I'm worried about it primarily um, because I believe that I ran into a situation in which such abuse was involved. And it's not anything I would ever have had reason to think about um, mm -hmm. except, except um, through that experience. And then when I really began to sit down and read um, the requirements for um, the, the eligibility requirements for U visas, and I began to read about the broad waiver of grounds of admissibility for U visa um, for U visa applicants. I really began to focus on the great potential for abuse and the incentive to lie that this statutory structure um, gives rise to. So that's just my my own illustration of something that might uh, might go wrong. That's surprising. Yeah. Surprising. I wonder, and I, I'm not going to ask you to directly comment on any of the uh, no. the background, but. Um, I just I wonder personally about the legislative background. I'd personally like to take a look at some of the comments and discussions where you know I wonder uh, how much of these concerns were addressed, how something can come through like that. Because when I the first thing that I would think is that law enforcement would use this um, to let's say they stop a, a car full of kids. Um, and they find drugs in the car. You're normally in that case where you have someone who is likely to be charged, and then they will, you know, be an informant for the state. That's how I would think that this would be used. But it seems like that's not um, the but case. That's not the only scenario in which it could be used. But it just, I can see so many incentives 
uh, for wrongdoing. It almost seems like it would be an, give an incentive for someone to come over um, into the U.S. illegally just for this purpose to find someone and put together a case on someone. I mean, it just it seems like something that would be so natural when we have a lot of issues with drug cartels and, and all the other things that come along with a lot of the debate um, in a lot of these areas that we hear oftentimes in the media as well. Well, and I think that the incentive, I mean, I, I, that's what I'm concerned about, too, and I think that the uh, the breadth of this, so that if, you, if you're under um, 21 and you're married, um, you can bring you can bring your whole family over, or you can you can have your own whole family services, your parents, your sibs, your spouse. Um, so it's the, the the whole family. It's like, come on out, you know, come Right, <laughs> come right. Over. I mean, I could even... And so I think the incentives for abuse are just too great. Yeah, it just, it sounds like I could even see... Uh, uh, people who worked as underground consultants to help people, just as there are, are people, uh, you know, traffickers to help people come across the border who know exactly what they're doing and how to get past. I've seen all these programs on TV. I mean, I can imagine that there are people that you could pay in Mexico or not in, let's talk about Canada, you know, the people you could pay in Canada to help uh, come over and uh, peg someone that you could bring everybody on the bus and point the finger and, uh, you know, get everybody to come in. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, something that we don't really hear about. Has this been in the news a lot. Why haven't more people heard about this? I, or am I ignorant of it? No, I, I have no idea. The U visa, um, the regs were not passed until 2007, so there hasn't been a lot of activity thus far in granting these things. Hmm. Uh, law was passed in um, 2000. Many um, different interests were involved in um, drafting this legislation. Of course, you had law enforcement. You also had um, not-for-profit agencies, um, similar to some of the ones we have here in Chicago that help routinely help um, you know, victims of domestic violence and, and things of that character. The intention of, of the legislators, uh, legislators, I'm sure, was, um, was, was upright, but they don't often. And again, um, this is, this is a, a, a difficulty, and this is one of the reasons um, that people need to inform themselves about what goes on in their, in their legisl legislatures. Um, one would think that certain kinds of discussions occur as legislation is being passed. Mm -hmm. One would think that legislators would, would see the obvious. Um, the U visa is, is, um, is, is good in concept in the sense that you want people to um, feel free to come forward and help uh, in the investigation and prosecution of crime. I mean, we don't have any interest in the proliferation of crime in this country, but we also have no interest in um, constructing immigration laws that they could possibly be used in predatory fashion against um, our own citizens and, and permanent residents in the United States. So I'm very concerned about that, and I think that sometimes the special interest groups really go overboard um, in trying to um, get as much for the people that are their constituency as possible without really thinking about the downside or the ramifications of the breadth of what they're asking for. Um, the U visa protections would be sufficient if there were no path from a U visa to permanent resident status or U.S. citizenship. We have another status in immigration law called temporary protected status. I would do something, as I mentioned, that would be um, analogous to that. I mean, if someone who cooperated with the government in the prosecution of crime had a um, had a continuing interest in being here because that person's life was 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 threatened um, because of the cooperation, et cetera. I would, in those cases, um, make the U visa extendable indefinitely. Now, is that what we normally call asylum? Um, well, no, asylum is a different process. Okay. okay. Well, let's get let's finish, let's pause for our final break, um, and then we will round out the rest of our show. We'll be right back with Donna Adler. 
Okay, our practice management resource list for today starts off with books from ababooks.org. Again, at website www.ababooks.org. Today's or this week's book rather of interest is about Google for Lawyers: The Essential Search Tips and Productivity Tools. In the decades since its launch, Google has been synonymous synonymous with searching the Internet. This book unleashes the full power of Google as a search engine and as a provider of free and low-cost tools that can help any attorney compete with the large firms and their legal research and technology budgets. Google for Lawyers, the essential search tips and productivity tools, introduces novice Internet searchers to the diverse collection of information locatable through Google. The book discusses the importance of including effective Google searching as part of a lawyer due diligence and cites case law that mandates that lawyers should use Google and other resources available on the Internet where applicable. For intermediate and advanced users, the book unlocks various powerful tools for advanced research strategies and hidden search features they might not otherwise be aware of. Designed to help lawyers learn how they can pull all of Google's power to work in their practices, Google for Lawyers Essential Terp Search Tips and productivity tools will also unlock various free Google services, from the lesser-known Google Voice, Google Wave, and Google Translate to the better-known Office applications such as Gmail, Google Docs, and Google Calendar. These services can make the novice, intermediate, and advanced users alike more productive attorneys. Our second resource is the Attorneys in Transition site, uh, published by the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. Um, that is a site that has contrib con contributing authors, uh, of which I am one, uh, and others who talk about different uh, different areas of discussion involving anyone who is finding themselves in a, a period of transition, whether that be going to launch and start a new practice, or they're making a transfer, or uh, potentially um, right out of law school and looking for a position. So again, attorneysintransition.com through Law Bulletin Publishing Company. Our third practice management resource, again, as we announced earlier in the program, is the Law Practice Management School. Classes do start January 5th, 2010. You can email me directly, nick at alrpra.com, for more information. And again, these are weekly uh, seminars that are going to take place online using the webinar format. And those will be Wednesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. with a follow-up uh, question afterwards. So do check out those resources. Uh, our, also, our final uh, sponsor of the day is credit damage expert George Finder. He is a credit damage expert who can put a dollar amount on damages to credit. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and pla uh, plaintiffs and individuals who have used his services have earned huge damage awards in the areas of uh, family law, personal injury, employment law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions in the intake process, you and your staff will be able to learn to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage services. Located uh, in California, however, available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder does have a website full of resources. You can visit creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder. Again, this is the ALRPRA Law Talk Radio Lawyers Toolbox program you're listening to. You may call in at area code 917-889-9732. Press option 1 for the caller queue. And as always, we always look forward to your emails at nick at ALRPRA.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line. If you have any comments or suggestions for further programming or any of our guests or topics. So let's now uh, find out if our guest, Donna Adler, has any final follow-up comments on U-Visas. Well, Nick, I think that I've expressed my concerns and hopefully that I've given some um, fair description of eligibility requirements for the U-Visa. You had asked about resources. 
the resources that um, the best resources are, of course, the Immigration Nationality Act and the um, regulations at, at, um, contained in HCFR, the code sections and the um, regulatory sections I've provided. Um, we are just beginning to have experience with U-Visa. Other places that um, people can um, look to for information about the U-Visa, um, the National Immigrant Justice Center here in Chicago has um, some good materials on, um, on U-Visa requirements and um, U-Visa eligibility as well as um, um, the U-Visa process. Um, through that agency, we're likely to, here in Chicago, develop the, um, the most extensive experience um, in the Midwest um, in the granting and, um, you know, evidentiary requirements for the U-Visa. But this is still all very, all very new. They're backlogged applications at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks for sharing everything about U visas and again, what Criminal Defense Council should be aware of. Donna, do you want to give any contact information for anyone out here who would like to contact you? Sure. Uh, my my email address is Adler Law A D L E R L A W at Comcast.net, and my office line is six three zero three one zero eight three zero two. All right. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Donna. And thank you also to all of our guests who listen in uh, every Thursday to the Lawyer's Toolbox on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. We'd also like to thank our sponsors. We had, number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme, second, the Lawyer Market, and third, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group, and finally, credit damage expert George Finder. We also do have a special broadcast coming up this Saturday, December 4th at noon. Uh, that is 12 o'clock noon Central Time. Crocodilian and reptile expert Mr. Terry Cullen will be here to uh, share his lifelong work in wildlife research and conservation. He will also be sharing the very unfortunate and chilling story about bogus criminal charges allegedly made against him, which put his life's work and well, his life and his work both in great peril. We do ask you to tune in. We are looking to gain support for Mr. Cullen and awareness of some of the uh, problems within conservation. It's actually a very common uh, modus operandi, if you will, with uh, within many of the uh, groups out there to use sensitive crimes as a sort of sort of attack to professionals in certain areas. And unfortunately, when you have an individual uh, like Mr. Cullen, who has stayed out of the limelight and worked and spent all of his time and resources on the efforts of research and conservation, um, not taking a very uh, large stand in the limelight, so to speak, uh, you find an individual who ends up being very uh, subject to attack by certain groups. And this is a very unfortunate uh, case here that is, that is going on. And we are appealing for support uh, of the public and media nationwide as we uh, bring you this very special broadcast. Mr. Cullen is one of the top in the world uh, and known and respected internationally for his lifelong work in research and conservation of crocodilian reptiles and other uh, wildlife species. So again, a very important message and a very uh, important show coming up December, this Saturday, December 4th at noon central here in Chicago. Again, if anyone ever has any questions for us, you can always send us an email, uh, nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary based on the specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests and among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an 
attorney and or professional in your area. Find all of our callers to remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. These Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With guests and listeners located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine of ALRPRA Incorporated, and we thank you for your time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.